The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum and this is the book club show on Inspire 105.1 FM. My name is Imrana and it's Tuesday the 6th of August. I hope you have had um, a wonderful morning so far, a good hearty breakfast. Um, so today we are um, have a really special um, show today. I have a special guest um, by the name of Dr. Mamnoon Khan, and we will be discussing the book Being British Muslims, um, which, to be honest, I think is a really, really timely uh, kind of discussion um, to have, especially in the current uh, social political context and um, the conversations that are being had at the moment, both in Luton and actually beyond. Um, so I'm just going to uh, introduce actually the book itself. Um, I'm going to read um, the blurb just to give you uh, a bit of a uh, introduction and then after which I will introduce um, Dr. Khan and then we'll have a bit of a discussion. If you do have any thoughts or comments um, today about the topic of being British Muslims or also um, you know, after you hear some of the discussion that we're having, then obviously please call in on 01582481822 or you can WhatsApp in on 0779481822. So being British Muslims, um, the uh, strap plan, so to speak, is beyond ethnocentric religion and identity politics. Um, And it says at the back, this highly thought-provoking book packed with incisive observations and analyses on a wide range of issues facing British Muslims offers concise yet extensive commentary on the cultural and intellectual contentions and contextualising Islam in the UK. As of 2018, roughly 50% of the UK's Muslims population uh, was born in the UK. With this shift comes on one hand the loss of old ways, in quotation marks, of experiencing the word the world and navigating one's place within it. And on the other hand, it comes with the excitement and opportunity to make new culture. The questions now facing British Muslims are, from where can British Muslims get their inspiration? And what should be the nature of this new culture? These questions are becoming ever more important as the UK's population is expected to grow from 5 to 10% by 2050. Thus, the author's clearly presented analysis provides critical and constructive insights for readers wanting to understand how to make faith more meaningful and relevant, going from a largely immigrant ethnocentric religion and identity politics to one formed on intelligent and confident theocentric understanding. Essential reading for anyone interested in Islam and British Muslims, including policymakers, community leaders, philanthropists and activists, as well as scholars and students of Islamic studies, sociology, cultural studies, politics, philosophy and identity. This is the most refreshing and indispensable overview of anyone interested in the area. Um, So that is um, quite kind of an extensive, um, uh, I guess, introduction to what the book is. And hopefully I think we'll have some really um, interesting discussion today. Um, And so to introduce um, my guest, Dr. Mamnoon Han. Um, So Mamnoon is a young social analyst, founder of Grassroots Initiatives and writer whose collection of articles are interesting, insightful and pertinent. His ability to question received wisdom, um, analyse complex issues succinctly and offer possible solutions to the challenges facing British Muslims is refreshing and admirable. Um, So I'm going to introduce um, Dr. Mamounan. As-salamu alaykum. Wa alaykum salam. Thank you for having me on. How are you this morning? Oh, thank you so much for giving us um, your time and to discuss um, this wonderful um, topic of being British Muslims. Um, So my question, I guess, firstly would be, how did this book come about? Because it seems, like I said, it, it seems quite timely, but it also must have taken quite a lot of, um, 
I guess, like work and thought and, you know, to, to, to kind of come up with something like this. Yeah. No, so it came about, um, started in nine, uh, 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened was um, up until then, I had sort of lived in my own bubble and um, I'd been aware of issues in the community in Luton, grew up in Luton. Mm. Um, and so I've been aware of the issues, but I've never been actively involved in trying to uh, progress any of the issues. Um, and then in 2014, there was a group of uh, uh, Bangladeshi uh, Muslims in, the U- in, in Luton who mm. encouraged me to kind of get more active. And uh, that led to, that led to uh, writing blogs. And so um, the blogs uh, between 2015 and 2018, I wrote, I wrote about, I think maybe about 30 to 40 blogs. Um, mm-hmm. It was on a blog site called Islamicate, um, which uh, we've, we've kind of taken offline now. Mm-hmm. But um, so the initial thinking was from the blogs. And what I found was that when I looked back at it, when we stopped blogging, um, what I found was that the issues which I covered are actually... Uh, are actually um, kind of universal issues which are going to be with us for the next sort of at least mm-hmm. for the next 30 50 years possibly mm-hmm. and so what i said okay let's uh, let's put the blogs into a book form let's adapt them let's change them let's add additional bits to it so that actually this can this work can remain more um, more in the minds of others and they can benefit from it so that's that's largely how it came about. Sure. Okay, no fantastic. And and actually that's so interesting because at the moment obviously this idea of um many people are using the, the platform of actually blogging to be able to get their kind of opinions across. And I think it's fantastic to actually that kind of journey from that into um, a book, which is um, really lovely to see. Um, so now coming to the title of Being British Muslims, um, what is it, I guess, for a reader who's obviously not yet read the book and hopefully having um, heard today's show that, that it'll, they'll be prompted to, to purchase it, but what is it about the title, I guess, is it a statement that you're making or is it more of a uh, an action of being? I mean, what, what, what where did Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This, this whole book is a statement. It's okay. kind of, I mean, if you look at all of the books that, pretty much all of them uh, that mm. have come about in the last 10 years about British Muslims, it's always been a narrative where it's not a theocentric uh, narrative. It's not mm. a religiously inspired narrative. What What is our religion really telling us about some of these ways we do public religion, mm-hmm. ways we um, embrace and then take th- the religion, the guidance, um, and then kind of try and influence society and how we project ourselves. It's largely been um, from the from the points of um, securitization, from the points mm-hmm. of um, um, identity, from a, um, a kind of identity group perspective rather than you know, what is the religion really telling you about these things? Mm. Um, and it's also been done uh, from the point of view of integration. So sure. it's, 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 it's those, those, have, those have been the kind of meta-narratives which have defined a lot of the books that are out there today. Mm-hmm. And they have their pros and cons, which, um, and, and sure. I, I, I encourage readers to read uh, many of these books because they provide a lot of um, good insight. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But what this book tried to do is say, okay, I'm going to almost ignore all that, sure. ignore all that and say, look, actually, there's some fundamental things that we should, we need to be thinking about, especially because we are, you know, um, my grandfather came to the Luton in 1950s, mm. and, uh, in 1950, and my father in 1963. Then, then you know, then we, you know, we grew up here um, in the 80s, 90s, etc. And we're sort of in our third generation now, mm. and um, we now need to be thinking about some of these things in a more strategic way, so that mm-hmm. future generations. Have have a better sort of understanding of Islam and can then use the religion and the um, and the guidance it provides in order to kind of 
uplift and flour- make you know kind of influence society so that it flourishes because mm-hmm. society is really in need of this kind of um you know what is it that god wants of us and how do we create societies according to the medinan model is a mm-hmm. very very relevant today and so this book tries to say okay there are some fundamental things that we need to be looking at and those things are you know if you look at uh, our 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 time here it's largely been ethnocentric religion mm. you know and and that's not a that's not necessarily a judgment it's 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 saying okay that's that's stating the matter of fact that that's been the case could i just ask yeah. you so for any um listeners who might not quite understand the term ethnocentric i mean how would you define that in terms of what is it that and especially that and also you're saying to go beyond that so could yeah. you try to yeah maybe contextualize it a little bit yeah so um, if you look at historically wherever muslims have gone mm-hmm. they've kind of contextualized the religion according to the local uh, nuances the, the 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 good the all the good stuff within the local cultures mm-hmm. so if you take for instance uh, bangladesh for instance you know mm-hmm. you know uh, muslims have um you know worn the uh, w- adapted to wear the sari for instance mm-hmm. and they can wear it with their hijab you know intact mm-hmm. with their modesty intact um if you look at you know the um the language for instance it's mm-hmm. not like they to speak arabic they yeah. speak bengali yes. similar thing for pakistan and and india and across the world that's always been the case that islam has meshed into societies in which it has found itself mm-hmm. and and muslims have done that And so when we look at ourselves here you know in the 1950s we were, we were about 100,000 we've grown to about over 3 million now and projected to double that mm-hmm. and become 10% of the UK population so we're talking really significant numbers mm-hmm. by 2050 those are some of the projections and what that means is we need to also ask ourselves how do we contextualize islam to our surroundings so that we actually you know we do what others other um 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 communities have done throughout history mm-hmm. and this is what actually Allah and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam also yes. if you look at his sirah he he also um encourages this and this is what's happened all the time so how do we do that and ethnocentric means basically we haven't done that we've kind of taken sure. the religion of our fathers and our grandparents um from india pakistan and bangladesh and kind of pretty much um pasted it onto the uk sure, without okay. really thinking okay how would the religion how would how would um how would islam be contextualized to uk mm. conditions and situation and how where we find ourselves culturally Sure. Okay. Is that is that answer? No, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And um so in terms of this um a sense that actually obviously as um um immigrants and children of immigrants this kind of journey that I guess we all go on because initially I guess any kind of move from one place to another would probably require um that sort of um kind of pasting process actually I'm just going to call it for now. Yeah. Um so I guess it is a longer term thing right because it's only probably now people maybe perhaps in our generation who've been born here educated here who are then able to look at the bigger picture and think actually how is it that we're able to now do this or do you think it this book for example is probably also aimed at our parents generation as well or who who are you hoping would actually read this book and then take from it? I think um I think for the older generation if they if they read this book then uh, what i'm saying to them is um um look there are there are some uh, issues which um as the as the as the forthcoming generations mm-hmm. um uh, live their life uh, they'll need to look at and mm-hmm. and you know it it's 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 um trying to encourage them to say um you know to encourage the youngers to uh, young people mm-hmm. to kind of embrace this kind of uh, thinking sure uh, so that's for the older generation and the younger generation is saying look 
you know, you really need to look at this stuff properly mm-hmm. in order to be secure, in order to secure your generation, the next generation's future, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of headwinds mm-hmm. Muslims face in the UK mm-hmm. in terms of uh, the future of Islam, in terms of how we even understand Islam, you know, mm-hmm. um, how we, because there's a, you know, we're in, we're, we risk becoming a community where, um, you know, probably one of the first communities ever where we've kind of taken, we've kind of gone into a new land, mm-hmm. right? Found ourselves in a new land and haven't really influenced it from a theocentric point of view, from what God wants us. Mm-hmm. All previous generations and communities around the world, when they've taken, when they've gone to new new lands, they've kind of influenced it. And mm-hmm. if you look at, for instance, you just take Pakistan or India, Bangladesh or India, mm-hmm. look at the influence Islam has had in those countries. The language has been changed, the ethos is really embedded itself in, in the fabric of those societies. And that's actually, that's the challenge we have is how do we, how do we do that? Because we be, if we really firmly believe there's goodness mm-hmm. in what Allah says, and it's, it's really guidance, then basically we should be thinking along these, li- along these lines. Right, and sure. so this book tries mm-hmm. to look at the contentions. So mm-hmm. it says, okay, what are those things which kind of we need to sort of solve and, and kind of do slightly differently or think about it slightly differently in mm-hmm. order to unlock our theocentric potential? That's what it looks like, look, looks at. Sure. Okay. And then, so, so how is it? I mean, this, I like the term that you're using. This idea of actually being able to have influence. Um, and I guess my question would be: In what ways are we able to actually, um, how to say, understand whether or not that's happening? So, for example, you've got a chapter um, in your book which is called Integration Identity Politics, and and obviously there's obviously a lot of discussion about the idea of identity and how that plays out as especially specifically as south asian muslims in in the uk um now how because obviously now integration is a term that's become extremely loaded you know recently um only this morning i, I read an article about the situation in um uh, in kashmir and how obviously you know what the government's doing and it's at one point there was a, something in that article that said that they're just trying to instill kind of integration um into the, this particular area um now, in uh, living in a country where sometimes that term is used as a smokescreen for actually what they want is assimilation, how do we navigate that as British Muslims, knowing that actually it's not necessarily integration that people want, but also secondly, maybe we are already influencing certain things, but it's maybe more subtle than we realise. I, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, no, I think you've got a point that we we are. It's not like we're not. It's not a, a zero or one kind of binary situation mm. we have. We are influencing society mm. uh, as we speak. Um, so what I what 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 this book tries to do is say, okay, um, there's some contentions in how we approach religion, and if we if we look at those things, then actually we can we can really define what integration should be for the UK. Okay. okay, and we can talk about it in a language and in a way which kind of inspires others. So mm. at the moment, it's very kind of offstandish. You know, mm. some some sections are offstandish. Some sections are uh, of the Muslim community. Some some are kind of very um, uh, kind of um, uh, want to kind of demote the role of religion because mm. they fear you know X, Y, and Z. You know, you got all of these different voices. Mm. What I'm saying is, put that to a side. Let's actually um, let's actually really um, define the narrative from a from looking at what is it that the Quran and the Sunnah and prophetic life and uh, scholarship has actually taught us about some of these things. And then what we'll find there is a renewed 
way of looking at the whole problem. Mm. And it's it's a bit like, you know, when I was um, at work, someone asked, um, someone, I was having a discussion with someone and it's, she's a really intelligent person, non-Muslim. She was asking me, okay, um, good and bad, you know, um, can be defined by human beings. And I mm. said, and so she was kind of uh, saying that to kind of say, okay, uh, implying that we don't need religion. Sure. So I then said, okay, actually, you know, you you do have a point there because, um, you know, in the, in the in the Islamic tradition, we have a a theological group called the Maturidi tradition, mm -hmm. which basically says that you can. There's a to an extent, human beings are capable of uh, defining and understanding, recognizing good and bad. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that in the Quran. There's, there's an ayat um, which which refers to it. Mm -hmm. And so when I said that back to the back to her, she said, "Oh wow!" And it mm. completely changed her thinking. Sure. Because suddenly she got something which actually showed, okay, there is. It's, it's not the it's not the usual narrative it's something different mm -hmm. and you could do that because you understand and you've learned religion and you know what the discussion points are and it allows you to to kind of engage in a more meaningful and more inspiring way mm -hmm. and that's what this tries, uh, book tries to do is say okay let's if we really understand some of these things then we can really inspire society in a different way than we've we've we may be accustomed to yeah, no, absolutely. And and then, I mean, what I really loved is how that you started off um, kind of, I think it's literally maybe the first chapter. Yes. So it's it's called Faith, Reason and Progress. But this idea about questioning and how important it is actually to always be questioning in terms of when it comes uh, to our learning. Um, but I guess then um, the my question would be for young people potentially or even you know people in our uh, generation who are, who are children are kind of immigrants and, and and who are born and bred here what is it what are the questions that we you think that we should be asking in terms of our um uh, our place in society here yeah i think so at the back of the book um, mm. i've tried to summarize some of the um kind of I've, I've kind of proposed a charter if you like you know for sure. british muslims mm. um and i've said okay there are there's are seven points in there that if we if we approach those if we approach almost anything with those seven points in mind then actually you know we could we could be setting ourselves to a different path mm. and it's things like you know gaining contextualizing deeper knowledge of how to be godly so we all talk about religion 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 mm how do you be religious mm. and in different contexts and you know you might find a very particularly difficult situation versus um, an easy situation versus you know um, a new situation how 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 do we be, how are we to be godly mm -hmm. right do we have the knowledge to kind of say okay yes i think my religion is telling me to do this and i think allah you know these are the examples or you know which which which, which kind of inspires me to do certain things you know, so so that that's kind of one. Yeah. There's there's like that. You know, things like valuing the power of the intellect, and deep thinking. Mm -hmm. You mentioned about um, questioning, learning through mm -hmm. questioning. Well, if you look at in the Indian subcontinent, the way largely religion is done is basically you just accept mm -hmm. someone of a high authority, uh, an imam, a scholar. They do their they they kind of they teach you, and you sort of accept it. Mm -hmm. But actually, that's not how scholarship has really been done throughout history. And we shouldn't just paste that into the UK. Sure. We need to question and learn by questioning. Mm. And that's not to say, okay, we deconstruct everything. No, we question in order to understand things. And if something is really uh, of, of a truthful and sound nature, then you'll be able to figure that out. Mm. And by questioning, you'll gain a deeper understanding. So it's kind of, you know, even the second point, valuing the power of intellect and deep mm. thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to kind of value these things. It's like religion is supposed to make you think deeper and go beyond what might be apparent. And, um, you know, the mm -hmm. third thing 
It's okay if I just go through some of yeah, these. Yeah, of ones. course. Yeah, yeah, sure. Third one is establishing reputable institutions, institutes of learning platforms and standards. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so I feel like, you know, we need to be creating um, institutes which actually, you know, um, give us uh, give us the platforms and standards and learning um, that that we need. So. I, I talk to a lot of, as part of this book, you know, I've got in touch with a lot of people around the UK and, um, you know, for instance, a, a college in, a Muslim college in, in London, one of the things they tell me is actually Muslims aren't investing in Islamic learning, mm-hmm. despite all of the discussions and all of the, you know, our religion is being attacked and et, et cetera, Muslims aren't actually um, um, investing in, 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 in religious institutes mm-hmm. and we need to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to do that in order to um, in order to uh, teach religion properly, platforms and standards. You know, standards. We haven't. You know, we've got. We've got. We haven't really defined this a a, a standard for cu- mosque curricula, for instance. There's so many different ones out there, and there are good. There are pros and cons for all of them. Um, but wouldn't it be great if we say, okay, this is kind of a, a syllabus, a curricula that kids up to GCSE will follow, and they'll get a GCSE at the end of it as well. And all the maktabs in the UK follow this, and actually, you know, and and these are some of the subjects they'll cover, and these are some of the grades they'll have. You know, it's standards, setting standards. Because if we if we're to do these things on a long term basis, we need to create these standards, and then also platforms. You know, we have. Um, you know, there are platforms that come on, uh, come about out of people's own eagerness to kind of help and, and do, do things. And that's great. All we need to be doing is supporting that and uh, kind of, and they all, they all have their, make their mistakes and mm-hmm. not to kind of, you know, um, um, either prejudge them or, or um, put them down when they've made a mistake, but to kind of have a bit of um, patience and kind of help them. So these are kind of some of the some of the things sure. that we need to be establishing. Number mm. four, seeking to be a type of total Muslim with a God-centered ethic. You know what does that mean? And I kind of define that you know in a bit more detail in the in the in the book. Mm-hmm. Number five, taking care in social interactions. You know how do we take care in social interaction? This is massive. There's a chapter there. It's called Al Adab Al Internet. This is an area where. You know, scholars haven't, and this is this isn't a um, criticism of scholars, um, but um, you know, it, it, the the matter, the, the fact is that we haven't really defined a you know a fiqh of um, you know muasharat uh, muamalat in terms of for the modern world. You know, things like how do we engage online, right? Mm. In terms of what are the adabic principles we should be teaching everybody. Yeah. You know, you, you come across articles here and there, but nothing substantial work has been done. Mm. And whereas throughout history, people have always looked at, okay, these are the, these, this is how you be, you do adab, right? And and so... I think that's quite an interesting um, point, actually, which we, we can maybe discuss a bit more um, um, after the break, this idea of actually in more in the current context and social media and, and how things play out there. So we are discussing being British Muslims by Dr. Mamnoon Khan. Join us um, in a few moments after the break. Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. I was just astonished because of the book club show Inspire 105.1 FM. Um, the reason I just kind of done that is because that advert just before the break on about the Inspire Eid really did make me laugh. I think it's wonderful. Uh, just so it, it will be happening at Lucy Park in Luton on 11th and 12th of August between 12 and 8 p.m. Um, so I hope to see you all there. Um, right. So today's uh, book for the book club show, we are discussing Being British Muslims um, by Dr. Mamnoon Khan. 
Um, so basically discussing beyond ethnocentric religion and identity politics. Uh, just before the break, we were talking a little bit, actually, um, Dr. Khan was talking um, about this idea of, of almost having this concept of being having other um, online, which sometimes is a big challenge at the moment. And actually, um, I thought that'd be interesting conversation now to have in our current context where a lot of us um, perhaps do spend time on social media where we might be actually discussing various things including politics including uh, you know so many different things that actually um, that gives us a platform to discuss um, but yeah so Dr Khan um, what so we were just talking a little bit about that actually this kind of idea of what it means to be in social uh, social media and how we interact as Muslims so would you want to speak a little bit more about that yeah, I think it's a really important um, topic because I think th uh, there's there's some stats in the book which actually tells us how long we spend online, mm. and we're talking about hours. Mm. And I think I calculated in the book about uh, at the current sort of rate, you know, if we do that throughout our lifetime, then mm. it could be could amount to about eleven years. Wow, amazing! That, <laughs> that's some that's so that's something that's astonishing. And so, you know, if we're spending so much time on social media. Um, you know what does that mean how do we how do we how do we engage and 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 do it properly and what is it that the religion teaches and so on. and so mm -hmm. actually this and and so just before i talk about that there's another thing here which is about information mm -hmm. you know this is known as the information age mm -hmm. because information is everywhere you know people are collecting data we're collecting data we're being we're data informed data driven etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's all about information so but this actually if you look historically this isn't the only time muslims have faced this Mm -hmm. And we can learn a lot from historically when Muslims face a barrage of information, new information. How did they, how did they engage that? How did they uh, assimilate that and sort that out and synthesize new new information? So, if you look at in medieval times, um, just after sort of in just at the beginning of the post um, of the classical period, you know, Muslims faced. You know, there was all as Islam expanded. Mm. You know, you, can't, you had new philosophies, new ideas, new thinking came came about. And that actually challenged Muslims a lot. And so, how did they engage that, and how did they how did they sort that out? Mm -hmm. So, there's there's historical precedence to this as well. So, I mean, today because of the information age, you know, we, we're bombarded with all sorts of information. How do we how do we engage that? I think one of the things that we need to actually before we before we engage that, we need to kind of learn about is the adab we we uh, we use in order to engage that. And there's a there's a um, there's a chapter on this um, on page 85, which actually goes through some of the principles that we actually need to be mindful of before we we engage this area. And it's things like things like firstly beginning, you know, and it's nothing, it's not, it's nothing kind of out of the world, you know, what I'm proposing. You know, the first point I'm making here is actually in the ilm, the knowledge of the adab of the internet right, should, should it kind of should begin with, you know, forming having correct intention. This is basic. This is one of the most basic principles we have in our religion: is having the correct intention. And what that means is, you know, we 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 have good intentions, we have sincerity, and we have we begin with God in mind. And if we do that, then actually, what we'll immediately find is, instead of you know making maybe poking fun at somebody, we'll mm -hmm. straight away be cognizant that Allah is ever watchful. So this this will help us. The second point I'm saying is kind of fact checking. You know, there's a there's a kind of a tendency in all of us, and we've all done it, and I've I've certainly done it, is just kind of um, um, uh, forwarding and sharing things which uh, without really fact checking it. And and there's some techniques we can use. It's called the four gates of speech, which basically says before you share things, 
you know, you kind of ask yourself, is it true? You know, second question is, is it necessary? Third question is, is it kind? Fourth question is, is it the right time? Mm -hmm. And if none of those things are right, because sometimes, you know, it's yeah. so important, right? We go in the middle of a discussion and I do it, we all do it. Uh, we go in the middle of a discussion two people are having with something, something which we think is relevant, but actually it wasn't our discussion to go into, you know, so is it the right time to do that? Um, the third point is, you know, even if information is factually correct, we need to think critically uh, about um, whether it will be of a benefit to others. Okay. And, um, and so this is, for instance, you know, sometimes you can be, you can, you can have hack, you can have the truth on you, but actually it's completely the wrong time, wrong place to kind of uh, bring it, bring it. So if, for instance, if two people are having an argument and if you say, um, if you, if you, if you then um, bring in religion and you know, they're both anti-religionists, mm -hmm. what's going to happen? Yeah, it's obvious they're just going to gang up on you together. So you kind of we haven't really helped the situation. So it's saying about it's talking about time. Um, the th the other thing is um, the, the fourth point is um, we shouldn't concern ourselves with something which doesn't really concern us. There's a tendency with the information age is because everything meets everything. We kind of think okay that's really relevant, you know, and and I need to engage with it, but actually it doesn't. You know, it doesn't, most things don't really concern us. And even if they concern us, you know, we, you know, do we have the, do we have the influencing capacity to, to do anything with it or to be, to, to add something of value or benefit? And one of the principles, the charters at the back of the book is um, adding value to actions, we, 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 uh, to our actions. So this is actually important, another important point. Number five, you know, avoid sharing bad news stories from far places. You know, it's completely out of context. What tends to happen is, you know, we, we sort of think, okay, we live in the West, mm -hmm. okay, and the West is a massive place. So all of America's, Canada, America, Australia, <coughs> Western Europe, and kind of we bring um, stories from those places, you know, and kind of say, okay, well, you know, um, this Muslim was attacked in, in Texas. And um, yes, I mean, they were attacked, but, you know, there's a tendency that we we because we bring these bad news stories from all around the world it almost feels like the world is falling mm. on us i guess that's quite an interesting point because it, it is this as you said in the information um age that the global becomes local and um, i guess you know i see your point because um it's almost inevitable that actually because of all the information that's going around that we are always exposed to it. Um, actually, Baraka Blue, um, he once wrote, uh, who's a spoken word poet and, and rapper in, based in America, um, he once wrote, um, oh, it was an article or a blog, and he called it, the, oh, it's gone out of my head, um, something about the, the tragedy. Oh, I'll have to look it up. But I, the point he was making was actually that we always almost overexposed to all the negative and bad things that, that are kind of happening in the world that actually we're not designed um, in a way to be able to deal with that much kind of um, I guess you know um, uh, horror and you know all kind of the, the negative things um, but I guess my, my other point though would be to maybe slightly interrogate that so if we um, have those platforms so I, I'm thinking primarily of something on Twitter where there tends to be a bit more kind of political discourse happening on there if we don't discuss issues that are happening globally from a Muslim point of view then how can we actually um, you know explore what it means to be Muslim in the 21st century just in the world I mean you're right maybe we should always start you know in the UK but actually 
it's actually a problem a problem right now in terms of how Muslims are being persecuted across the world is something we have to also recognize and talk about surely hmm. yeah I think it's, it's, it's an important um, point that one and it's it's not these things don't have easy solutions mm. because in some things you actually unless you make unless you um, you kind of shout about it mm. you know a, nothing will ever get done you know so there, there is a there is there are some nuances we need to have here mm. is in some sure. things yes um, you know we have to adapt 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 things and mm -hmm. um, so there's no one-size-fits-all um, mm -hmm. for, for this um, um, but what I'm what I'm kind of trying to make the point is that there are principles out there mm -hmm. uh, which if we if we understood and if we kind of uh, um, live by those principles then we might just get a better result at the end of it mm -hmm. um, and and it's kind of trying to instill um, encourage that discussion what are these principles and um, um, and, and and if we have those then then you know we might be able to wade through okay what is more pertinent to speak about mm -hmm. rather than what isn't what is just kind of tangential tangential and it's kind of some other a journalist is just making a, a point which uh, which like other journalists they they're interested in making a point mm -hmm. uh, because of what they do in, in their jobs and it's not necessarily that pertinent to to us as muslims or mm -hmm. to society at large we just need to ignore that so it's kind of those kind of mm -hmm. things that we need to you know how do we how do we call that out how do we look at that yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and um, so for our listeners who maybe have just uh, joined us, uh, we are discussing today Being British Muslims um, Beyond Ethnocentric Religion and Identity Politics by Dr. Mamanoon Khan, who is in the studio with me at the moment. So we're just having um, a bit of a discussion about what does it actually mean to be um, British Muslim. Muslim in our current context, especially um, in the UK, and I guess more specifically um, in Luton. Um, now, you have uh, one of the chapters um, here is called "Why Language and Labels Matter," which I thought was quite interesting um, actually to read because this is something for myself. <clears throat> I guess as a teacher, but also working in the arts, where there are certain labels that are sometimes imposed on particularly kind of, I guess, South Asian communities. So Luton is an area, for example, which has been highlighted as having a low uh, in, um, a low engagement with the arts. Um, and it's a term that, you know, which is tend to use something like a hard to reach communities, which I'm also always um, interrogating because I think it depends how you define art and, you know, if you even recognize the creativity which already exists, right? So that's a conversation I'm always having. So this idea of labels, I do find interesting. Um, so in that chapter, and actually, it links nicely onto um, a different chapter where you're talking about Islamophobia. So I'm going to try to link those both um, together if I can. Um, so in this um, particular paragraph, I'm just going to read it out quickly. It says, similarly, in the struggle for social justice, um, so it's on page 19, similarly, in the struggle for social justice, many activists are trigger happy in the use of the term white power without distinguishing hard right or white supremacy from, say, casual or institutional racism. In such popular discourses, use of such terms isn't usually in context, but rather used in a cursing mode, in angry, pedatory, amplified voices so they, that they can be heard. Yet most white people don't have the foggiest idea of what this label actually means, nor are they responsible for what they're being accused of historically or today. Um, so being white in a generalised way becomes wrongly cognitive injustice, just like being black was once cognate of being fit for enslavement by Europeans. Um, 
and then actually I might just get to the end of it. So oddly, those who use such shorthand labels are often quick to point out that the term Islam, is, Islamist terrorism is a contradiction in terms, yet only too happy to use shorthand labels when venting their own frustrations. Um, so that was kind of really, I guess, packed for me because I was thinking that there's definitely a point there, again, coming to the idea of how we sometimes can be reactionary in some of the discussions that we have. But then also this idea that you know, um, we're talking about white supremacy. When we talk about white power, for example, that you've used, we're talking about systems, aren't we? Um, and then because you, you, you make the point that, you know, we're people potentially accusing um, white people, for example, of something that's happened historically. But so this idea, especially, I guess, ourselves as South Asians, when we talk about, you know, post-colonial discourse, surely it's actually quite important to obviously not be reactionary in the way we discuss those things. But when we do talk about white supremacy or we use the term white people, which people get very easily offended by, now how do we navigate that conversation then without kind of putting the onus on just one community, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think, so what this book is trying to do is say, okay, how would the Prophet ﷺ would have approached this and um, are there examples like that? Mm. And what we find is there are many examples like that, sure. you know, and what at a kind of summary level, what the Prophet, uh, the way he normally um, engaged that was, he didn't want to offend the other people. Mm. Sure. So um, he, um, he was, um, um, you know, he was very mindful of not, portraying this kind of harsh sort of uh, thing back which maybe he was being he, he was he was at the receiving it fa facing mm -hmm. it sure so so i think that there's a there's an important sort of principle here is how do we shift the paradigm in which we engage some of these things mm -hmm. okay so so um if we know that in history you know people um the uh, co colonialism and co colonialists you know they they put terms out there mm -hmm. in order to divide and subdivide and those kind of things um what we need to do is not do that in return mm. so for um because actually that that is prophetic you know the prophet was was attacked and uh, he also um prevented other uh, companions from actually reacting in har harshly hastily um and so that that's an important principle that we need to bear in mind and um so when it comes to kind of white talking about white supremacy is very very topical you know with, with mm -hmm. kind of what what's happened in america very recently mm -hmm. um i think it's it's worth recognizing that um you know do we should we should we be talking the same language um um and mm -hmm. is there is there a nuance we can use in that language which will which will kind of inspire people because at the end of the day what we're trying to do is um give people another way of perspective way of looking at it so that it changes them Mm -hmm. Because um, there's a lot of psychological evidence, for instance, which says that if you constantly attack people, constantly kind of pointing their negatives, mm -hmm. then they're just going to go away. They're just going to walk away. And this is actually there's 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 Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in the Quran that you know had you been and paraphrasing had you been um, um, harsh in your language, he's saying that the Prophet Sallallahu <coughs> then they would have gone away, mm -hmm. right? There's a, there's so there, there's some there's some principles here that we need to be mindful of. of, of what tends to happen is a lot of people use this in, as I said, in, in a derogatory kind of way, and I, but failing to realize that these are human beings as well. And what we need to show is that actually these are fallible human beings which have these issues, which we need to help them and kind of make them feel like we're helping them. Um, 
And it's, these are tough. It's not easy when you've got a lot yeah, of pressure. Sure. The media, the yeah. media, and politicians are saying them. This is this is tough. But we have guidance, right? This yes, is that's sure. what I'm trying to say. Is we have guidance. We need to be mm. looking at guidance and telling, informing us. No, no. I, I guess no. Definitely, I, I agree with that point. I think, but the, you know, this notion of, of being able to recognise the other is is kind of also being human. <laughs> I think, sure. You know, if if that had been the case, I guess for the colonialists, then actually. Colonialism would never have been a problem because they would recognise the other as, as actually also being human and not being so, um, you know, completely dehumanising them. Which is, I think, is interesting discourse. But I think at, at the moment, um, I mean, there might be some uh, some of the listeners out there as part of a, a project that I did called Echoes of the Diaspora. I did a spoken word film called Sticks and Stones, and and I guess it's it's interesting for me because that is something I also thought about. That you know, the things that I'm saying, um, they could come across as quite harsh um, to, and to be quite frank, um, white people potentially. Um, but then it was also me having this conversation about myself and me being able to be comfortable enough in my own skin to be able to say that these. This is how I felt. This is how I feel. And actually, my intention is not to offend. It is just to actually, after all those years of being or attempting to be palatable, that actually maybe this is not the time. And I think, inter- like what you've just mentioned, what's happening in America. Again, obviously, it's it's politics that's happening over there, but it's affecting us definitely over here from especially now who with our new prime minister, um, which actually probably brings me nicely along to your um a chapter on Islamophobia. So when we have a prime minister who um, will label Muslim women um, who wear Nagaba's letterboxes, um, which is obviously just one example. Now, you know, in, in your chapter, actually, my first question would really be that, um, so your chapter is called The Trouble with Islamophobia 20 Years On. My first question is, why is the word Islamophobia in quotation marks? Because I'm just thinking, are you using it as a term because it's a term that's just kind of come about? Or is it because you're questioning the very label? No, I'm, um, I'm not questioning the phenomena. Phenomena okay. is we know we are, um, you know, there's this thing called Islamophobia and, and people are people are um, uh, face disadvantages and accusations and hostility mm. against mm. them because of their religion. That's a... That's a fact, you know, we, there's lots of studies and lots of um, data being collected for that, and that's growing. Mm. So it's not really a question then. What it's saying is, you know, this thing about language and terms we're using, mm. if, you know, let's, w- the, the Islam is telling us, you know, uh, not Islam, but when, when, we, when we read the Quran and what is Allah is telling us to think, to think deeper. Mm-hmm. To ponder about things, and so we should be we should be taking that kind of approach to everything, right? So Islamophobia as a term is actually one of those where, if we look at the word Islam and phobia, mm-hmm. what we've actually done there is, is um, you know people say Islamophobia, but what they actually mean is 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 Muslim, sure. right? Is Muslim yeah. mm-hmm. um, because the, the Islamophobia is being at, is being addressed to a Muslim, not necessary to the religion sure. because usually when this religion is quite clear that they're criticizing religion mm-hmm. so then we get into okay why what so why do we have this term and if you look at other terms like jewish phobia you know that doesn't exist right sure. or you know even if you look at homophobia homo mm-hmm. is kind of your you're directing at the person mm-hmm. not necessarily to the to the concept sure. you know at, at a kind of a superficial level so so, you know, it's really saying, okay, 
you know, we, we, we now, and, and that's why we need to, def that's why there's been, you know, over years and years of trying to define this thing, mm -hmm. right? And over recently, over the last few years, there's been lots of attempts sure. uh, by, firstly, by the Runnymede Trust, which kind of coined this term mm -hmm. 20 years ago, 20, 21 years ago. And then, and more recently, the APBG on British Muslim, they try to uh, come up with a with a definition which has, has had a lot of um, backing for, by Muslim organizations and Muslim individuals. Mm -hmm. And now the government have said, okay, actually that's too vague. Mm -hmm. um, and they've appointed, um, appointed uh, Qari Asim, Imam Qari Asim to kind of uh, be, uh, to lead that, sure. to redefine it. So all these definitions, right? And, and that chapter is actually telling, uh, it kind of goes through some of the challenges of this area. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 it, it kind of says, okay, if we were doing this from a problem solving perspective, mm -hmm. and, and there's a chapter on yes. how do we problem solving and lean problem solving, how the prophets did it and how we can learn from that is, you know, in sort of what this definition I've tried to do is kind of boil all of the different facets to Muslims in the UK mm -hmm. into one definition of their kind of running me trust will kind of do that because their their raison d'etre is kind of saying that you know racism is massive and we need mm -hmm. to fix it and that's mm -hmm. kind of that's their philosophy and that's why the perspective will be slightly different it'll be broader mm -hmm. that's why any definition which they propose would kind of tend to tend to have those elements in it so we have like you know in the, in in the, in the Muslim Muslims sort of have this experience where you can divide into four different chunks, uh, as I see it. One is kind of all the negative portrayals in the media, um, all of the the bias and all that kind of stuff in the media. Um, uh, uh, media. Then you've got a then you've got a a kind of a, a a societal bias where society doesn't really value religion much in the UK and in the Western world. There's lots of studies in this. I think. I think um, there was a 11% of the UK population, there was a study done by Pew Research, 11% mm -hmm. of the UK population actually valued religion. Mm -hmm. So actually that, 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 that has an important consequence on us, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to be mindful of that. Then there's another section around all of the points around socio-demographic and class and, um, mm -hmm. and the challenges of social mobility. That's kind of another bracket. And then you've got another bracket here, which kind of the book tries to deal with is all of the contentions within within the Muslim com community. Um, so what what Islamophobia, the definitions of Islamophobia does is kind of it marries a lot of these things in a, in a way which hasn't been really properly layered and thought about in the layers. Sure. Right. And and then and that's why that's why even if you have a definition that everyone agrees to, it's mm -hmm. going to cause a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. So what this what that chapter does actually say actually. If we can go down that route and, and actually not fix the problem and make it worse, mm -hmm. potentially, which is what I'm arguing. Or we can say, okay, let's look at the basic definition, which actually most of, firstly, we don't confuse all of these issues. Mm -hmm. And secondly, most people will actually uh, be agree, um, agree to. Sure. And, and so what is, that def what is that label? What is that definition? And should mm -hmm. we be using it? Mm -hmm. And what I'm proposing in the book is that we should be using the word anti-Muslim um, anti hatred. Mm -hmm. That's not going to address your your um, social mobility issues. Sure, that's mm -hmm. that that needs to be addressed. But we shouldn't at this stage bringing that into the fold because actually we'll we'll just find loads of problems everywhere, and we're trying to use one definition to to, mm. to kind of have a have a way into all of these problems. Yeah, you, I think you're right. It is quite um, a deeper, I guess, um, kind of conversation to have because uh, you know on one hand I guess uh, partly some of my feeling is actually just to have some sort of definition would be helpful in kind of um, the current climate as it is because um, 
it helps. It just, I think it, it does really help to have an, an anchor where that you can go to and say, actually, you know, this is what the issue is. This is what I've experienced. Um, but, you know, I guess at the same time, you know, this this idea of, you know, the definition of uh, perceived Muslimness and, and linking it to racism. And again, I think, I guess I just come back to this idea that, you know, and you mentioned it in the book that once upon a time, this kind of racism would have been... Um, well, it would have been because of the color of skin, you know, being called, um, you know, go home packy or, you know, something like that. But then I guess post 9-11, it's then come into this idea of actually it's our identity as Muslims and that's what's being attacked. Um, so I think actually, yeah. if, uh, um, on that point, I think it's a really valid point you, you've, you've kind of raised there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's happened is if you look at, you know, 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe 20 years ago even, um, we used to define ourselves as British Pakistanis, British Bangladeshi, British Pakistan, British, mm. you know, Indians, whatever, British Arabs, and British Somalis, and and um, and and so and and we did that. You know, government used to kind of collect data on that. Mm. You know, and also when we go and work for companies, yes. they they ask you what which which ethnicity you are, and you kind of take that. Yes. Um, so now what's happened is fast forward to now we've suddenly called ourselves British Muslims mm. but actually when we look at how we're still ethnically rooted in our communities mm-hmm. we're still we're still doing ethnocentric religion and we're still doing internal identity politics mm-hmm. so how do we move the forward so what do we need to, to become British Muslims properly Muslims mm-hmm. in a sense where we don't have ethnocentric religion and we don't we don't do identity politics and we kind of we're more reliant on what uh, a theocentric god what, what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us mm-hmm. and uh, informed from uh, religious principles and scholarship and those kind of things sure. this is what this book is only about yeah, yeah yeah no and i think that's that's wonderful actually point to, to kind of end end on this um what does it mean to actually be a, a british muslim and and how actually we always come back to allah and it, all that we do and the intentions come back to this idea of always having the intentions to benefit the communities in which we live i hope you've enjoyed this uh, conversation. Uh, my thanks to Dr. Mamun Khan, and I will hopefully see you back in a couple of weeks. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton.